Good morning, River City. It is a pleasure to see everyone here this Family Sunday. It's, got, it's on. My name is Antramika Knight, and it is my pleasure to welcome you here to River City. Um, today is Family Sunday, so if you joined us earlier, you were able to enjoy breakfast down at the table. Um, and we'll also be meeting and loving on one of our families during meet and greet. Um, here also at River, at River City on Sundays, we read from the lectionary, which is a collection of verses and scriptures that are put together to just study the word throughout the year. And it's also a way for us to connect to the global church. The psalm today is Psalms 37, 1 through 11. Um, and it says, fret not yourself because of evil doors. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your right." your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the earth, the land, and delight themselves in abundant peace. The salvation of righteousness is from the Lord. He is the stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. We can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we pray this Sunday for abundant peace, not just for ourselves, but for River City, for Smyrna, for the United States, for the world. We pray that we don't think peace means that there won't be uh, disagreements or that we will all believe the same thing, but we pray that there is peace in the Lord, that we seek things that are higher than ourselves and we turn our eyes towards heaven. This Sunday, Father God, we pray and welcome those who are visiting River City. We pray for the River City family as they are here to enjoy it this Sunday. We pray for the Smyrna surrounding area, Father God. We pray that they feel welcome in this space. In Jesus' name, amen. And so we, as we move into prayers of the people, God, as I said before, worship that truly forms us inward sends us into our communities, our homes, proclaiming the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ through our actions first and then words if necessary. So I'm going to give you space to pray for the church around the world right now, and you can speak it out in this group. Pray for the church in India right now in Jesus' name that you continue to do the work you're doing there. And we pray for the churches here in Smyrna, Father, that this morning at Cumberland Community and Square and Vinings and Vinings Lake and First Baptist and First Methodist and Second Baptist and Second Methodist and every church that's in this city, that all of us would 
gather around and be unified, God. Build the church so strong that we become one in this city, God. Remove competition, God. Remove competition. Remove comparison, God. And let there just be brothers and sisters going after God, celebrating one another in Jesus' name. We're going to pray now for any needs that you might have in this room. If you would speak them out so that we could pray for you. And I'm just going to encourage you guys as we keep doing this on Sundays, for those of you who look for spaces to be able to pray into what God's speaking to you about the church. You would call it maybe prophetic. You would might just call it your heart for prayer. These are the spaces for you to pray. All right. Good morning. How are we doing? Okay. Today we're going to look at the story of um, Joseph revealing himself. We don't need that yet. We're going to look at the story of Joseph revealing himself to his brothers. We tend to view this story as about being about forgiveness, um, and it certainly has that theme running through it if you've read it. But today I want to look at this story as a way to look at humility. So to start with, let me ask this question. Um, who knew that this story from Genesis was the lectionary Old Testament passage for this week? A show of hands. Okay. I got one. Okay. Of those who raise their hands, who has the humility to admit that they didn't actually know that, but they raise their hands anyway? <laughs> All right. Good. Appreciate that. Well, it's not the Old Testament passage for this week in the lectionary. It's the Genesis passage for February 24th, not March 24th. When I was looking to see what was in, up for this week, I clicked the wrong 24. I clicked the 24 for February, not the 24 for March. So I realized that on Thursday when Jessica pointed it out to me, um, but I'd already gotten well into my prep for the week, so <laughs> yes, yeah, so I admit that to you out of the posture of humility um, in keeping with our theme this morning. So um, before we talk about this part of Joseph's story we're going to cover today, let's review a little bit about his family, okay? Imagine you're watching Netflix right? And a new season of your favorite show has just dropped. Before you start watching the first episode of the new season, right, there's usually a voiceover. Last season on Joseph. <laughs> so Joseph is one of the 12 sons of Jacob. Jacob met a woman called Rachel, called Rachel. That's for you, Aiden. In, in the UK, they say called versus named. I, that's for Aiden. Um, called Rachel that he wanted to marry. Rachel's father tricked Jacob, ironically, uh, into living and working on his land for seven years for the opportunity to marry Rachel. But when the time came, he gave Jacob Rachel's older sister first instead and started the clock running again for another seven years to marry Rachel. Now, Rachel was unable to conceive, but between Leah, Leah's servant, and Rachel's servant, Jacob had 10 sons. Then Rachel became pregnant with Joseph. And it seems that Jacob showed preferential treatment to Joseph. And this was not lost on his brothers. Joseph also had visions in his dreams. He shared one of those dreams at one time with his brothers, instructing them or letting them know that he had seen them bowing to him in this dream. His brothers were not amused. In fact, they plotted to kill him. Instead of killing him, they just sold him to this group of men that were coming along where they were tending their father's flock. Now, these men ended up selling Joseph to a man in Egypt who worked for Pharaoh. 
That official's wife had eyes for Joseph, which Joseph rebuffed, and the wife wrongfully accused Joseph, and he ended up in jail. In jail, he had some additional visions in his dreams, and Pharaoh learned about those, and took Joseph out of prison, and he started working for Pharaoh, rising to second in command for Pharaoh. Now a famine swept the land. This is like Game of Thrones without the dragons. A famine swept the land, and Jacob's family was struggling for food. So Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy some grain, because they knew Egypt had grain. When they arrived, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. He accused them of being spies, and noticed that their youngest brother, Benjamin, who was born after Joseph, the second son that Rachel bore, was not present. Jacob, Jacob had made J Benjamin stay at home because he didn't want to lose Benjamin like he'd lost Joseph. So Joseph locks up all the brothers but one, who he sends back home to retrieve Benjamin. Eventually, all the brothers are again in front of Joseph to make their request to buy grain, and that's where we jump in in Genesis 45. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves, because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years. And there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for your many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph chooses to view his circumstances in this way, and we'll talk about that in a bit. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds, and all you have. There I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that this story is a living word, even when picked incorrectly. You speak to us through it. You have things you want to show us about your character, about our relationship to you about our relationship to others. I thank you that, that you are good. Okay, as I said at the top, I want to talk about humility today. That's not a typical take on this passage, right? Preachers often use this passage to talk about forgiveness, sometimes make comparisons between Joseph and Jesus. But as I was preparing this week, this theme of humility kept popping up for me. And I think it works without feeling shoehorned in and you're free to disagree. That's fine. That's the beauty of Scripture and the diversity of the people we have here today. We all bring something to this Sunday morning, and we all bring something when we read the Word. So what is humility? It's easy to think about humility as the opposite of pride. Someone who is puffed up needs to be brought down a notch, right? 
Listen to a baby boomer talk about any modern player in just about any sport. Why all the antics? Why all the money to play a sport? Back in my day, da da da. Now that's a way of looking at humility about what it's not, right? Maybe anyway. But what is humility? The dictionary defines it as modesty or a low view of one's importance. That's probably more in line with how we view it, especially in a, in a Christian circle, right? In a Christian context. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The potential problem with that perspective on humility, though, is that it can breed a lot of shame or leave us operating from the mindset that we are no good or incapable of doing the right thing. The trap is to swing the pendulum and start to puff ourselves up, do all the self-esteem work, and that can lead to pride. Pendulum swings. Shame to pride and back. Then we, when we've swung to pride, right, we feel too puffed up, too big for our britches, as your grandma used to say. We swing the pendulum back to cutting ourselves down, right, and we end up back at shame for how arrogant we've been or how self-important we've, we've felt, we've acted. Humility is contrary to both shame and pride, but it's not the opposite of either of those things. Humility is the opposite of whatever it is that creates the shame or the pride. Both shame and pride are fundamentally flawed. Humility neutralizes both shame and pride. Humility doesn't require tearing yourself down or tearing someone else down, especially if you think the Lord's tasked you, right, with correcting someone's proud persona. Sometimes humility requires encouraging someone else, looking them in the eye, and at least metaphorically, lifting their head. Shame looks at ourselves and others through a lens of sin how bad we are, or they are. Pride looks at ourselves and others through a lens of, I am good, or I am better. What if true humility means to look at ourselves and others through the lens that God loves me, and God loves them? The love of God is at the center. Not our sin or our self-importance. Not how bad we are or how good we are. Shame and pride leads to comparison and hierarchies. We view ourselves and others and conclude how inferior or superior we are. We start to obsess about ourselves to see where we fit in this hierarchy. How are we doing? How are they doing? Exhibit A, social media. Apple keeps upgrading the phone on their, or the camera on their phone to feed this beast. So we can take better photos that are more easily editable, to fashion ourselves and the burrito we ate for lunch, just so. But the reality is, there's nothing we can do to increase or decrease our worth in God's eyes. So how does this relate to the story of Joseph? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> well, we reviewed how Joseph and his brothers get to this point in chapter 45. Joseph identifies himself to his brothers, and what's their first reaction? Shame, fear, yes. They were not able to answer him. We've all been in that situation, right? Where we're caught, we're busted. We have no answer to whatever the question is. Why did you do that? How could you say that? We're ashamed, and we're so ashamed, we don't even have the wherewithal to be defensive about it, right? His brothers could have gotten defensive in that situation and started blaming Joseph for what had happened to him. Right? Because he was so arrogant, sharing his visions and his dreams. But they don't do that. 
They were scared of what he was going to do because they knew what they had done to him. And he had the power to make their lives miserable. He'd already put most of them in jail once. And what is Joseph's response? We would expect or we could understand some sort of proud response, right? Do you know who I am? Right? Do you know how much power I have? But no, he invites them closer. And they stand there mute. He encourages them. He tells them not to be distressed. Don't beat yourself up over what you did or over what happened. He tells them, don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. I tend to see that as true humility as much as it's about forgiveness. He is not viewing them according to the hierarchy at play. And there's a real hierarchy at play in this story. He's the second in command of a country that has the grain his brothers need to buy to help their family. But he doesn't go there. He doesn't go into the trap of pride. He's not beating them up for what they did to him. He's not puffing himself up in their presence to show how inferior they are. He's viewing himself and them through the lens that God loves them. God loved him so much that he rescued Joseph right from his plight of being sold to a group of men and then sold to a government official and then thrown in prison right after being wrongfully accused. He's not stuck in a mindset of shame either over what happened to him, which he could have been. Right? Because let's face it, Joseph wasn't the most humble guy when he was sharing this stuff about his dreams and visions. It would be easy to talk about what happened to him through that lens of sin. This is what I deserved because I was so proud about what God was showing me in my visions. Instead, Joseph views his brothers through the lens that God loves them all, him and his brothers. So he invites them close. He reassures them not to be distressed, not to be angry with themselves. He describes his personal journey as one that God had his hand in. He says, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Again, through the lens that God loves him. God watched over him as he dealt with his circumstances. He chooses to view his life through that lens, which in turn helps him view his brothers through that lens, and not the lens of pride or shame. Then he invites them to move closer to him, literally, move the family closer to me so that they can be provided for through this vast storage of food that Egypt has. Note, too, that Joseph doesn't mention that Egypt has all this stored food because of one of Joseph's visions and dreams. Right? Again, he chooses not to fall into the trap of pride and tout how great he is, or his dreams are, that led to the supply of food they're there even trying to buy. So how do we live in this true space of humility? First, we have to stop beating ourselves up for mistakes we make or blaming our condition for the things we experience. The idea that we are unworthy is a lie. This is what we've talked about before when we went through Henry Nouwen's book, Life of the Beloved, right? And discussed the idea of living under the curse versus living under the blessing. When we live under the curse, the trap of shame is much easier to find. Second, we have to stop puffing ourselves up and assuming that we've already arrived. And we can arrive in any number of ways right, that reveal a sense of pride motivating us. Our job, our income, our marriage, our family, our salvation, our car, our friends, our theology, our status, you name it. I can remember when I used to practice law, um, the firm I worked at back in this time period, it was, well, I started last century. Um, But we used to have this cycle of new, new associates, new associate attorneys that would come in each year, 
It'd be two, three of us, depending upon the size of the new class. And I came in with two other people, and behind us there were three people. I was having a casual conversation with a friend of mine um, in Omaha, random conversation. He's asking me how things are going. I'm asking him how things are going. He, too, went to law school. And while he was in law school, he decided to sit for the CPA exam. And then he actually ended up, after law school, just being a CPA for a long time. Now he's a finance guy at his company in Omaha. I have weird friends. Um, but he's asking me how things are going and how this new group is fitting in and all that. And I just, and I can remember this, I don't remember much of small conversations over the years, but I remember this. Um, he asked me about this particular, one of the particular associates. He's a nice guy, I'm still friends with him. He's still practicing in Atlanta. Um, he asked me about um, like the track for partnership. Like when you come into a law firm, there's usually an eight year track where you're a cog and then you're a higher paid cog and then you become a partner where you're responsible for bills and that kind of thing, finances of the firm. Um, so there's a track. And when you start, it, it's historically, it's you come in, in eight years, you're a partner. The people that come behind you, one year behind you, they be, or after you, they become a partner, et cetera. And we were having this conversation, and he says, and, you know, it's like, so if he works harder than, than you, he could make partner first. And I said, he won't make partner before me. I never became a partner, in part because the Lord introduced things into my life that were way more important. I lost focus on what I was chasing. That's a whole other story, which we don't have time for. Um, but I made that statement, and it was out of arrogance. Um, and I think Joseph's story, there's a lot of arrogance in his early years. And over his circumstances, the Lord shows him things about himself, about God, about how, and you, you hear it when he's in front of his brothers. He's talking about, the Lord brought me to this. Don't blame yourselves for what happened to me. I can see it now. Um, and I can see the upside to not making partner at that firm. Um, I'm not upset about not making partner at that firm. I'm just bringing it up because it's an expression of an arrogance that I had at the time and maybe still have at times. There's my wife. Um, okay, so first, stop beating ourselves up. Stop puffing ourselves up. We need to stop engineering our relationships. Some of us only watch CNN or listen to NPR. Others of us watch Fox News and, rush, and listen to Rush Limbaugh. We can't live in a bubble, whatever that bubble looks like. The kingdom of God is not a bubble that we're trying to get people in. That, me that mentality only fosters the idea that there are some that we need to keep out. And that's not the kingdom. Which leads to the next thing we have to stop. And Dr. Green touched on this last month. We have to stop prioritizing beliefs over people. Pause for water. <clears throat> the spiritual journey with Jesus is not about being right as much as it is about treating people right. Jesus died for you and me. He died for people, not for beliefs. If we can manage to move in the direction of not beating ourselves up, not puffing ourselves up, not engineering our relationships to move up some artificial hierarchy and start to prioritize people over beliefs, we'll find ourselves in a spot where we can learn and grow. Because we'll have the humility to say, I don't know. There it is. I don't know why you lost your job, but I'll help as best I can to, find, to help you find another one. I don't know why your wife got sick, but I'll sit with you as you grieve. 
I don't know why your son struggles with addiction, but I'm available to listen when you need it. I don't know why I feel lonely, but do you have some time to hang out? Yes, if living in a space of true humility, we can also verbalize our own needs without concern for where that might place us on the hierarchy. Jesus gives us a little insight into this view of humility, I think, when he's addressing a crowd in front of the Pharisees. He addresses this crowd, but he's talking to the Pharisees. I think we can hear Jesus trying to shift us away from this idea, idea that humility pivots on pride and shame. In Matthew uh, 23, Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, so do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. They themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Jesus is calling out the Pharisees here for the way they play the game of pride and shame. They use shame to place heavy burdens on the people, right? Their pride motivates these broad phylacteries on their foreheads and the long tassels they wear. These phylacteries were boxes that they wore that held the law, right, to display and remind everybody how important they are, how righteous they are. The long tassels revealed how learned they were. These things scream, look at me, respect me, I am important, which reminds me of a skit from SNL with Will Ferrell, which I'm not going to show because I, I couldn't find a good version that was appropriate for this morning. But it reminds me of this sketch of Will Ferrell. He's sitting at the dinner table, arguing with his wife and his moody teenage daughter, who he feels are not respecting him. And he starts yelling about how important his job is as a division manager and the Dodge Stratus that he drives. <laughs> I drive a Dodge Stratus. <laughs> right, look at me, respect me, I'm important. Jesus is putting his finger on their lack of humility. But Jesus is also cautioning the crowd and I think we can take something away from these words as well. He's also warning them about striving for what the Pharisees have and their status. They are called rabbi, but Jesus tells the crowd not to seek to be called rabbi or master or teacher. Jesus explained they have one rabbi, one master, one father, and one teacher. Don't exalt others and don't seek to be exalted. Now we're back to this idea that there is no hierarchy. There is no inferior or superior position to hold or seek or put ourselves in. We are all loved by the God of the universe. We are all equal when we look at ourselves and others through that lens. True humility puts us in that right perspective. It helps us see ourselves with a more loving mindset. It helps us see others in a way that God sees them, not as problems to be solved, but as people to be loved. Not as someone we are better or worse than, but as fellow travelers on this journey of life. If the worship team would come up. And prayer teams.
We have prayer teams that can come up too. If this tension between shame and pride is something that's challenging you this morning, please take advantage of the prayer teams and receive prayer. These folks would love to pray with you. I'm going to pray. Close this out. Lord, I thank you for who you are. You love us in our worst moments before we even turn to face you and seek you out. All the times we might have ignored you knocking at our door, you still loved us on the other side. We are saddled with all sorts of comparison and striving and reaching, seeking, and we are tired. We need you. We need the reminder of who we are in your eyes, that we are loved, that those around us are loved. Give us the humility to be comfortable with not having answers. Give us the humility to sit with someone that we don't understand. Their perspective is so different from ours. Give us eyes to see them as you see them. Help us to stop beating ourselves up. Viewing our circumstances through this lens of curse, of sin. Help us to admit when we're wrong. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So, Father, we just want to present all of this back to you. We say thank you. Thank you for the body of Christ. We so need each other. I pray, Jesus, that you would be our guide and be our strength and that we would go for you and with you. I thank you for every good gift, God. I thank you for this. I thank you for a space to worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.